Trigger warning. This podcast episode contains references to child sexual and physical abuse, grooming and predatory behaviour. If this episode triggers anything for you, please reach out to a loved one who will listen or contact Lifeline on 131114 for support. We see you, we hear you, we believe you. Wondering how to teach your children about consent? Want to know how to empower your kids to be the boss of their own body? In this episode, Lauren French from Body Safety Australia helps us answer these incredibly important questions. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in, and join us on this next adventure. Hello, and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. Now, consent is a pretty hot topic at the moment. What with the Me Too movement, Harvey Weinstein, and most recently, our local unhero, footballer Jared Haynes, and the government's most recent consent ad that was torn to shreds so badly that Clementine Ford and friends decided to create a much improved version, it seems that consent somehow can still be really confusing for some people. So today we invited body safety and consent expert Lauren French from Body Safety Australia in to give us parents of wildlings some tips on how to teach our children about consent and how to teach them to be the boss of their own bodies. Thank you so much for joining us from Melbourne today. How are you, Lauren? No, thank you so much for having me. I am good. It is a dreary, rainy day here in Melbourne, so I'm kind of in my very warm office right now enjoying that. <laughs> well, I won't rub it in, but it's been about 27 degrees and I'm still in a dress today. So. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> it is really stunning some days to me, the, the vast differences we get weather-wise in this country. It's Oh, well, I grew up in Darwin in the Northern Territory, so Melbourne is crazy to me. It absolutely makes no sense. <laughs> how, uh, way off topic to start with, but how on earth did you go from Darwin to Melbourne? Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Darwin. I came to Melbourne to study at university. So mm. we have sort of one uni in Darwin at the time, um, mm-hmm. and it didn't offer the course that I was after. So I came and moved Fair to enough. Melbourne. And I must admit, a lot of people my age and in my year level, we all kind of wanted to move away from Darwin just to experience this like big city life type thing that people kept talking about you know like (laughs) you know I used to joke to people when I moved to um Melbourne but you know darn we didn't have a Meyer or David Jones and we didn't have trams and there was you know there wasn't the train unless you get in the Gantt like you know the big one and that seemed insane so (laughs) you know it's a very different life so a lot of people kind of want to go experience something else it's like Mm. life in a big city but I must admit the call to the territory is a very loud call and it's hard to not want to go back all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um I grew up in South Australia and I have to say I miss those vast expanses and the blue skies but Uh the greenery here is pretty stunning Mm, I'd imagine so. (laughs) So first of all, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what Body Safety Australia is and its aims and your role there, what it is that you do? 
Yeah, of course. So Body Safety Australia, we're a non-for-profit organisation based in Melbourne, but we do work all across Australia, uh, focusing on preventing child sexual abuse uh, through education. So we're a primary prevention organisation. So I am one of the lead senior educators that works with little E's from three years old all the way up to year 12 students doing abuse prevention, doing consent work, doing respectful relationships education, depending on what cohort and what school I'm in. And I also work with parents and teachers. So we do PDs uh, with teachers around helping them with their daily practice and how it works in a school setting in a classroom. And then we also do work with parents around how this works at home and what is the family role in protecting children and teaching about consent. You know, best practice is whole community approach to prevention education. And so that means I don't just come and work with the kids because that's great, but I actually want to make sure those kids are protected and have that education consistently throughout their life. I'm not going to be in their life consistently forever. So I'd like, you know, the people that are in their lives to be as educated and informed and confident in how to put these things into practice with their kids. You know, we always talk about that it takes a village to raise kids, Mm -hmm. which is truth. Uh, It takes a village to protect them as well. And, you know, I think it's so important we talk, communicate and educate everyone in our village to help protect our children. Mm, I love that. That's everything. It's in our entire focus as well as helping find this village that seems non-existent at times and those hardest times. But like you said, we, we can't do this without the whole community being educated about it. And, and on that, what brought you to such a role? Yeah, so I have a psychology background and a master's in sexology with a specialisation in sexuality education. So I'm also a clinical sexologist. And I was sort of in Melbourne at the time looking into education stuff. I'm really big on education. Um, You know, I think it's a real cure for a lot of things. And I stumbled across body safety and I managed to volunteer with them for a little while. And I was just that annoyingly persistent volunteer (laughs) who just was there all of the time. Um, trying to just basically show how enthusiastic I was. And, you know, I saw Diane Carson, the, the CEO, you know, speak and it was just the, the, the passion and, you know, it just aligned with everything that I believe in. So my values around, you know, shame-free education, around, you know, shame-free bodies, but also putting children first and, you know, the power of the child first and the voice of the child, I think, it's funny. So often, you know, I think a lot of us grew up with the children are seen, not heard mentality. And we forget that children are their own little people and, you know, that education from them and having them viewed as understanding what education they need as well, I think is so important. So it just kind of aligned with my values. I really love, you know, we're an amazing organization. You know, I, I'm sure everyone out there has experienced toxic workplaces or workplaces (laughs) that are pretty well. (laughs) And I must admit, this is, you know, an incredible place to work with incredible people that are, you know, we teach empowerment for children and empowering the people around us. And it tends to mean that you have a pretty empowering work environment as well. So it's all kind of worked out. So I've been with them for about four years now. Amazing. We are fierce children rights advocates here as well. And, um, you know, we start both Vicky, my business partner and I have, you know, done the consent talk from birth, which might seem controversial to some of our listeners, not most of them. Most of our listeners are very much attachment parents and and whatnot. But to some parents, it may seem like we're enabling enabling children and quote unquote giving them too much choice, which yeah. makes me feel uncomfortable. But I have to admit, <laughs> it has bitten me on the bum once or twice when you know my children have barked back at me, "Mum, you said my body, my choice, and I don't want to go to bed yet." can you explain to those parents that that might trigger uh, why it is important to start these consent conversations from uh, from the early years 
Oh, of course. And I think as well, I want to be really clear when we talk about consent, I think for adults, so many of us just really go straight to sex and sexual Mm. consent, Mm -hmm. obviously a huge topic at the moment, huge thing I teach. But when I'm teaching five-year-olds about consent, it's not about sex. It's about Mm. a hug or it's about, you know, like holding hands. It's about, you know, we give consent for our bodies every single day. So why are we just thinking about it in a sexual context? So when we're teaching it, of course, it makes sense. We teach it with small children because small children also have bodies that then can be shared or not shared. And, you know, the biggest thing about importance is if you grow up, if your children grow up in a world, let's say, where every adult around them, everybody around them always asks before touching their body. Mm. Yeah, always, every single time. And all of a sudden somebody comes into their life and isn't doing that. Is that going to be a really big red flag for that child and that village? It would be shocking to them. Wouldn't it be nice if that was shocking for them? Exactly. And so then, you know, when we're looking at, um, you know, preventing childhood sexual abuse, it's such a huge reason and, you know, easy foundation to have that makes our jobs as the village to watch out and keep children safe. It makes our job easier. Yeah. Because actually children are more likely to come and talk to you about things early on when they're starting to feel uncomfortable with an, with an adult, with another person, and so you're able to, you know, catch things. While if you grow up in a family where, you know, you have to show respect by hugging and kissing and touching everyone, even if you're uncomfortable with that, what does that then build up a foundation of? Because we're building that children, you know, have to ignore what their gut early warning signs are telling them. They have to not come and tell you when they feel uncomfortable and they have to, and there's fear that if they don't touch other people's bodies, they then get in trouble. Yeah, and isn't that the thing? It's ignoring that intuition and it's pleasing other people before um, listening to our own feelings. And and that's, I think, the crux of things is I might feel uncomfortable but I don't want to upset you, the people pleaser in our, in our children. And that gets taught to kids so young. And then I teach them in teenage years where they're telling me that they can't say no to their boyfriend or mm. their partner or to whatever because they don't want to you know, be rude or not liked or, you know, there's this idea we can't say no to things. And then that leads into very problematic behaviour as we get older. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's something that we can change really easily in a way. It's more difficult for us as the adults because we have to get used to changing our language and our habits. And, look, I'm not going to pretend that the first time you ask your children for a hug and they say no, isn't going to break your heart a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, but the inner tiger in me is like, Yes. Yeah, but yes, also how? <laughs> but also, like, why do we want to hug people who don't want to hug us anyway? Exactly. And how beautiful is it then when our children do come up and ask us for hugs and want to hug us? And like, and also, come on, at some point in our lives, it's not cool to hug your children in front of school, and they don't really <laughs> want to do that. So, like, again, when we talk about putting children's voices first, we need to listen to children and give them the option to tell us yes or no. Perfect. So, what are some, some simple ways we can start introducing that? Mm. Uh, my biggest thing is just, you know, particularly for parents at home about physical contact. So I think it's, it's about asking the child. So simple things like hugs, like holding hands, like, et cetera, if the option, if they can say no, we need to be able to ask. So, Hey, you know, can I have a hug? Would you like a hug? Instead of saying things like, come give mum a hug, come give me a hug. Cause those are, that's like demanding and statements. <clears throat> and this is the thing, the hug is not, Uh, malicious or anything it's that we want them to understand that they can say no however I want to be very clear that we do have necessary touches necessary things that have to happen just to you know 
be healthy, happy kids. So things like health, things like hygiene and things like safety. Perfect. But if you're doing a necessary touch, you can't then ask. I can't ask a child, do you want to hold my hand to cross the road? Unless they can tell me no, because I don't want them to have to do that. So instead of me asking, I'll say, hey, we're going to hold hands now to cross the road because remember we have to be safe with cars. And it's really simple. so simple, those neuro-linguistics, just that tiny twist on things. And it's like you said, children are human beings and they're not stupid. If you tell them that we're just holding hands across the road, other than those really smidge of time in those early toddler years when they don't understand the risk and there might be that little demand, mm. and, and that doesn't matter what they're doing at that age, that, that you can still mm. ask the question, you can t- still explain the reasons behind the action that you're doing. Of course, because even when our children are nonverbal, they're taking things on board. They're also, you want to create, also nonverbal children can still say yes and no. That's like, right. We know verb, like nonverbally in body language when someone mm. doesn't want a hug, like that That's is quite right. clear. And so you can still do that with your children, but also how amazing, again, if your children grow up in a world where their first memories, everything they remember about their body is in a consensual way, everything. Mm-hmm. How crazy would that be? Okay. I hope, I would love to think that by my kids' kids, my grandkids' Because it's not that it's not far away, but you know, so much has changed since even my parents. Like it's been huge amount of change, even in the consent and the like. You said the children being seen and not heard and so on. But can we talk tickling? It's a huge trigger for me. <laughs> I excuse. Oh, I can. I can one hundred percent agree. I I have many triggering memories about tickling, oh, not in I, an abusive way, just in a know, tickling way. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I would rather wrestle. I would rather play fight. I would rather anything. Tickling makes me want to wee my pants and cry. It is not something that I enjoy. <laughs> yep. And yet it's still seen as a, a fun bonding activity for many parents. And I'm going to genderize a little bit here. It does seem to be more popular with with the you know the father figures. What can we do other than tickle? Yeah. And this is my thing as well, though, when I talk about modeling consent, yes, ask for hugs, but also if you don't want to be tickled and your child is tickling you, let them know. It's Mm. also your body. You're Mm. allowed to tell your child, hey, actually, I don't want to play tickling today. I want to do wrestling. I want to you know, do a dance party with you instead. I want to, you know, do a, I want to play, you know, with, with these balls. I want to do, you know, anything else. Anything. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Look, I'm not, I'm not a tickling person either, but it's also, you need, you want your children to know that actually everyone's body is different. And just because they might like tickling doesn't mean somebody else likes tickling. Yeah. And that's okay. You're allowed to still be friends and family and love each other. And you, both don't have to want to tickle each other. Mm, my kids are really good. So we, I've got that firm boundary in my body, my choice. I don't like tickling, but I'll wrestle you. That's that's the exchange. But I still see other family members and I've had to step in and say, I can hear him really clearly saying he doesn't like it and he'd like you to stop. Oh, I'm just having a bit of fun. I can hear him saying very clearly he wants you to stop. He's not having fun anymore. Are you having fun? No. You know, yeah. how, do we, how do we break that cycle? Well, look. <laughs> We have to, again, as you talked about earlier, acknowledge this is a generational change Mm -hmm. and to do any of this work, any body safety work, any consent work, we're doing generational change. We're not talking the way our parents probably did or their parents, our grandparents, et cetera. So we're, we're having to acknowledge that this is big change for most people and that takes a little bit of time. However, I also don't think, because I've met some parents who tell me, you know, for the grandparents, they're like, oh, but you know, they're set in their ways, you know, we can't change them. 
I think that's not giving anyone enough credit. No. Of course they can learn. Of course they can do that. But it's how do we go about saying it and how do we help educate? Because, you know, when we want to say you have to ask your kids for hugs, yes, amazing consent. Their family also has to ask them for hugs. You know, the people around them, we want to make sure children know that their close family and friends actually have to respect their body as well, not just random people they haven't met. Particularly, you know, on a serious note, when we talk about childhood sexual abuse, 89% of the time perpetrators are known to the family, child and community. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. and so when we look at that, it's really important that we make sure that we're emphasizing being advocates for our children and actually stepping in. Yes. When our children say no, and it's not respected and making sure one, your child knows you're always going to stand up for them in that room, even against family because that's super powerful. I've been told by too many survivors that they had to kiss and hug their perpetrator in front of their family and that was really normalised. Yeah. And how amazing if we can just, you know, and yes, it might be uncomfortable for you as the adult, but is that not our job? Is that not our job? And is that standing up for them, if you're showing potentially that groomer that you're aware of these kind of tactics as Mm -hmm. well, that potentially this isn't a child that you should be preying upon. Mm, Perpetrators are unfortunately not stupid and they do target and look for vulnerabilities, spaces in a child or a family or a community's life where they can fulfil a role and a space. And so we need to be really clear in our village, in our community, how educated we are on these topics, how much we are seeing because perpetrators do not go for families they don't think are vulnerable. And if we can project that we're not a vulnerable family, you know, then that, again, is keeping our children that little bit safer. But also when you do have the conversations and you are the advocate, also remember in your brain that they probably aren't educated in this space either. Yeah. And so then, you know, we don't have to, you know, necessarily yell or, you know, be like you're doing the wrong thing, you've done the wrong thing my whole life, even if they have. (laughs) Um, It might not be the time. But, you know, it's taking them aside and saying, hey, what?" and telling them why. I think the whys behind things get lost. It's like, yeah, I want you to ask for hugs, not for just because. I want you to do it because we're setting up a foundation of respect and consent with their body that is going to help prevent abuse and help get them to have respect for relationships in their future. That's the why. How can you argue that? Well, you can't, but if you don't tell the why and you just tell grandma that grandma has to ask for a hug, grandma sometimes (laughs) hears, like grandma hears sometimes that their child doesn't love them anymore. Yeah, trigger, trigger, I don't know how that, but it does, but it does. So it's not about just saying, no, don't do that. It's saying, actually, we're not doing that anymore because of this and we'd Mm. love it because you're part of my child's village. You are here helping me protect my child. I want you to be on board with this because it's so important. Mm. We often find too that if we've given the family the heads up and then we give the children the choice, they'll quite often go in for the hug if they know Ooh. there's a choice. But if someone comes in wanting to squeeze cheeks and there's no, would you like to say, oh, would you like a handshake or a hug? Is the worst. Isn't it? Or oh, the the, the hair oh. rub. <laughs> but that's the thing, choice. And, you know, there are always going to be some kids and just some people that don't like hugs. That's okay. Yeah. You know, maybe they're high-fiving people, maybe they're waving people. And, you know, I come from a, you know, very large family. Respect is very important for me. So, but I don't think I have to show respect to my elders or any of that just by touching them with my body. Like I can still be respectful in language, in manners, in acknowledgement without me having to physically touch anyone. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, even in this time of COVID, I feel like there's still a lot of pressure to hug and kiss. And I think, like you said, there's poor people that aren't huggers. My husband's a non-hugger. And there's still people going in for the big smooch. (laughs) A hundred percent. It's like COVID's a great excuse to put in some more intense consent education and and behaviours. I need to buy him a T-shirt that says not a hugger. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be a good one. Nice and loud for everyone. (laughs) Everyone in the back. Now, on a bit more serious note, we, um, you know, we know that every parent's nightmare is finding out that their child has been sexually abused or worse, yet it still seems that many parents are really hesitant to have that, that chat with children about body safety and it seems that they're often afraid of, you know, quote, unquote, bursting their innocence bubble or, or whatnot. So could you talk to us about some of the myths around having the body safety chats with young children? And do you have any tips on the kinds of ways we can introduce these topics without putting the fear up our children about meeting new people and, you know, stranger danger? Yeah. Uh, first thing, um, stranger danger is not a thing. Let's get rid of that language Thank entirely. You. Because look, and look, but I, I want to be very clear, of course, I'm not saying strangers never harm children. Of course mm. they do. But for most parents and most people in the world, we put stranger danger up on the like highest of pedestals. It's the biggest threat. And there's a couple of reasons this happens. One is that it's a lot easier to have that as the threat because how much harder is it when I tell parents that the biggest threat to their children are their close family and friends? Yeah. Like that's so hard to actually take in. But when I actually, when you think about it, how much access do strangers have to small children? These days, like we know the stats. Children are supervised the most they've ever been supervised in any generation ever before. Exactly. So, you know, when you look at it realistically, it's Mm. strangers, of course, aren't going to be the biggest um, perpetrators. However, when a child is abducted or a stranger is in play, it's on every media outlet ever. Mm. It's everywhere because, of course, it is. We're trying to find a child. We need all the eyes. However, you won't hear about the 20 court cases happening this week because, one, they're probably trying to keep the identity and the family safe. So then they're not going to show you who that is. Legally in Australia, they're not allowed to send cameras and journalists and stuff into a child sexual abuse case happening with a child Mm -hmm. because we need to protect that child. But because of that, a lot of families don't hear about it, don't think it's such a big deal, assume the stranger is their biggest threat because everyone's heard of one child that's been abducted somewhere. Mm-hmm. However, when you look at the statistics in Australia, one in five children are victims of childhood sexual abuse. It's horrifying. It, it's just mortifying. It is. And while that's it's super scary statistics and it's a really scary topic, hiding our head in the sand, ignoring it, and this idea that if we don't talk about it, it won't happen, unfortunately just isn't the case. No. And I think, though, there's a difference. As adults, we need to know the scary stuff. We need to know grooming techniques. We need to know statistics of perpetrators. We need to know the scary elements. When I do work with children, like when I go do abuse prevention with my, you know, six-year-olds, it's I don't talk about abuse. Because you can do abuse prevention without me having to scare or terrify children. That's not the point. I want children to be empowered around their body. I want them to have language around being able to say yes and no to things. I want them to understand who is safe in their lives. I want them to know all the correct anatomical names for all of their body parts. Yes. Because that is huge in prevention education. You know, like I want to give children skills, confidence and language, but it is not the child's job to protect themselves from abuse. So why do they need to know about abuse? Perfect. I love that. I really do. It's not 
that parents need to sit their kids down and we need to have a big conversation about abuse. It's we need to have conversations with our children around bodily autonomy, consent, empowerment, their bodies, the names of their bodies, all these sort of bits and pieces. But as adults, you need to have conversations with the other adults in your village around the scarier stuff, around the statistics. What does grooming look like? Because if everyone knows what grooming looks like, it's much easier to pick and we pick it up a lot quicker. People can't see me doing this, but there's a big Hail Mary happening at the back. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, please. <laughs> so what can that look like from parents to our young children? So little things obviously of, you know, asking for hugs, setting up that their body is theirs, you know, giving them choice and opportunity, uh, letting them know it's okay to say no to things about their body if they feel uncomfortable. The biggest thing though is learning what their early warning signs are for being scared. Scared is a huge emotion for children. And so, and all children have different language around what scared feels like because most people, like it's going to be something to do with their heart, something in their tummy, you know, and something in their body and their breath. But the words children use, particularly small children, will vary. I've had children tell me they've got butterflies in tummies when they're scared. I have others tell me they've got stones in their tummy or that they're going to be sick. They get get vomity when they're scared. You know, like know what your child's scared words are because those are the words they're most likely to use around abuse or around unsafe behaviour. Gosh, that's so empowering, Lauren. Just just that alone and giving names to those feelings for children is, is so empowering. Yeah, and also, you know, let children know when you're scared. I know so many children that tell me grown-ups are never scared because they're big, oh. strong grown-ups. Oh. But then that means children also think to be a big grown-up or to be mature means that they can't be scared of anything, mm-hmm. which, again, doesn't help us because if they're scared but they don't think they're allowed to be, are they going to come and tell anyone when they are? No, exactly. the exact opposite. It's a disempowering, isn't it? Exactly. So we need to let them know that, yes, adults can get scared too. Also watch the gender difference in scared feelings <laughs> because, you know, when I go into a classroom, you know, it's always the boys that tell me they never get scared of anything. Mm they're big strong boys and again I want my boys to know that they can also be scared because of course they can because everyone is but if dad never says that he's scared ever then that's really difficult for them to 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 see because it's not modeled yeah again gosh you know I know toxic masculinity is everywhere throughout media at the moment but (laughs) and you know and life and just (laughs) everywhere patriarchy don't get us started but it is it is so important for them to see that and I have this conversation again with my poor husband he gets brought up a lot in these conversations about that you know we need to see that you know you may not be you may not be scared but you need to be able to validate that that was scary you know even and, and that it is okay to feel scared we had a huge storm come through last night and terrified the kids and we had to have that conversation of that was scary. How are you feeling? What does that feel like? Yeah. Do you feel safe? Blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, it is, it's a constant conversation, isn't it? Oh, 100%. And also, you know, letting them know that things don't always have to as well be scary for them to be scared Ooh, because, like yes, a bear is scary so you see a bear and you're probably going to be scared. But if I get all my early warning signs and I'm just sitting on the couch with my uncle, I could still mm-hmm. be scared even though sitting on a couch isn't scary. Yeah, that's super important. So actually, you know, watch our language. If someone, if our child says, I was scared today, we don't need to ask what was scary. We can say what happened when you felt scared. Mm. Oh, those semantics. Those little little semantics, but it makes a big difference. It really does. And it's those open-ended questions too, isn't it? It's what what happened? What happened to make you feel that way rather than, yeah, oh, beautiful. 
clever, clever. This is why we have these talks, people. (laughs) (laughs) And that, you know, it's little things like I've heard so many people tell me about fight or flight responses, but actually normalizing freeze response. The fact that our body's most likely response to sexual abuse, to abuse, to trauma, a lot of the time is to freeze and shut down. So when do we normalize the freeze as well? I freeze all the time in my car. People do absolutely stupid things on the road. And I will often freeze and like everything locks in, your heart goes fast, you start Mm. sweating. I'm a big sweater. Um, But but I freeze. Yeah, same. My go-to is freeze. And even my youngest who looks like he's in flight will be screaming, eyes panicking, but he freezes. So it's it's the same thing. Yeah. And normalizing that that's normal and that actually they they don't get to choose that. We don't pick mm-hmm. that. Your your body picks for you. Mm-hmm. And what can we do when we feel that? Yeah. And, you know, because I don't want, you know, particularly, again, there can be a gender difference. Sometimes my little boys, when they hear fight or flight, they tell me, well, I'm, I'm always going to fight. Mm. But then what happens when their body freezes but they thought they had to fight? Are they oh. going to tell anyone? Oh. oh I know. It's really hard. It does. But- but this is why we need to have though. And it, like you said, not once are we talking to those kids about abuse. We're talking about what to do when we feel that way. What are the things, how did you feel? What are the things that made you feel that way? Hmm. And also we're talking prevention. So I'm not talking about you, us as adults stepping in when abuse is already happening. Grooming yeah. takes time. I want us to step in early when children, children are very good at knowing when they don't feel safe, when they are scared. They are very good at that. It's just we're not always good as the adults at hearing and listening and actually changing that environment for those children. Mm. Oh, gosh, that's so true. So true. Um, let's talk stats. I'm going to leave that open-ended to you because I can only imagine the stats that you've got. But what do you think is important for parents to know? My big ones, obviously, that the statistic is one in five children in Australia are victims of child sexual abuse. When you break that down, that's one in three girls, one in seven boys. Mm. Huge statistic. But also also to be aware with that statistic, child sexual abuse is an underreported crime. Mm. So while that might seem like a super high number, we need to be very honest about the fact that that might not be the actual number. The actual number might be higher. Absolutely. I just want to point out there we've got a lot of educators and teachers and childcare workers that listen to this that that's in a typical classroom. That's that's five children in your classroom alone. Mm-hmm. 100%. At least, minimum. At least. And so, you know, unfortunately, while no one wants to see this, it's quite uncommon if you haven't seen it realistically. Absolutely. Um, it takes children on average five times to disclose their abuse before they are believed by an adult. Oh, that's devastating. Devastating. Mm -hmm. And look, that harkens back to one, you know, myths that children lie all the time uh, and children do not lie about child sexual abuse. That's a myth. Um, But it also harkens back to the fact that it's really difficult to hear a disclosure from a child and, and, you know, particularly if it's a disclosure towards a family member or close friend, there can be a lot of disbelief around that. But the biggest reason and one of the biggest contributors to that number is also a five-year-old is not going to come up to you and say, I'm being sexually abused at home. How do, they, how do children that young label something like that? They don't. So they're going to use whatever language they have around their body. And if the only word for vulva they have is cookie, that's what they're going to use. And okay. as an adult, you're not going to hear it. I've heard horrifying stories from teachers that it's taken weeks and months of, of children explaining what is happening but not clicking because they're using the wrong terms for their anatomy. 
Exactly. And, you know, I was working with a centre where there was a child who was using the word Teddy for vulva. That was the word that they had been brought up with. And so they kept coming to the centre and talking about the fact that, oh, their grandpa plays with their Teddy with them. And everyone thought that was lovely, family involvement, Mm -hmm. how beautiful. And it took weeks and weeks to actually work out that that child had been consistently disclosing abuse, but the the adults just hadn't heard it. Mm. And, and this is, I can say, as a teacher, quite common. And I can only imagine the stories you've heard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a, the big kind of statistics that come to me. Obviously, that 89% of cases are perpetrated by known offenders. So we need to really move away from that stranger danger myth. Um, also about the fact of who makes up our perpetrators, you know, a huge percentage are male relatives and perpetrating child sexual abuse as a whole is a gendered crime. Mm. So, you know, 95% of all perpetrators of child sexual abuse are male. However, this doesn't mean 95% of men are perpetrators. It means I need my dads talking to dads, talking to uncles, talking to grandpas, because this is where the conversation needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I feel like these conversations land on women mm-hmm. many, many, in most of the time, let, let's say 95% of the time, when really, and that, that's great that mums are being really safe, but our children are in our other people's care many times, and I would like to talk to you about sleepovers in a minute as well. It is. It's a conversation our fathers and grandfathers and uncles need to be having and, again, will help prevent those grooming. A hundred percent. But also I also want to give a shout-out to all the male relatives in all our children's village. Sometimes they can be fearful that they will be labelled as a perpetrator for mm. having or stepping into these spaces. So as the females in the village, we need to open our arms to them. We need to say, yes, come in, let's talk educate and please because they can then go and take that information into male dominated spaces where unfortunately the perpetrators are going to be meaning that they can they can get to those spaces us as women don't always get to Mm, yeah so powerful um let's talk about sleepovers Mm -hmm. if we do them and i'll I'll question it like that (laughs) or or not of course Um, and what are some of the ways we can keep children uh, safe at them? Or even, let's let's nail it, would you recommend them? Oh, look, see, it's one of those things I, I don't like to, to tell people exactly what to do to an extent. In certain areas yeah, I do. Sleepovers are one of them. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, a bit rough. Um, no, it's one of those things <laughs> where I'm, I'm very much it's about the morals and the values of the family. If sleepovers are an okay thing for your family, amazing. If they're not, that's fine. I don't know if I would say it's the, you know, potentially the huge risk because I think it's more about who, what families, who they're having yeah. sleepovers with, et cetera, and listening to our children. If our children don't want to be there, great, don't make them. Um, my big tip with sleepovers and something that I definitely could have used as a child because I, I was the worst at sleepovers, I just couldn't sleep. Yeah. I was really bad at sleeping in a house that wasn't my own and so, so I would really common. struggle. It's so common. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like I couldn't say I wanted to go home and sleep because then you're uncool and, you know, you're lame. So I often tell parents that if, they, you know, they're starting to think about sleepovers and want to, but want to make sure their children are safe and comfortable and et cetera, I recommend a code word. Mm. And I don't mean like, you know, something weird um it's more like (laughs) yeah yeah like let's and and this is the thing it's probably not abuse related it's probably just like me I don't like sleeping in other people's houses yeah so what I would tell parents to do is that often like after dinner do an after dinner call just to check in um with the child how'd everything go amazing okay how was dinner and let's say your code word is carrots Mm. and if they said oh we had carrots with dinner 
that's your signal as a parent to say, okay, great. Um, put the parents on the phone. Yep. Oh, sorry. Something's come up. We've got to come and pick Lauren up. She's just, oh, you know, there's just stuff at home we've got to do in the morning. So I'm so sorry, but I'll just come past in a little bit and then we'll take Mm -hmm. her home. Then the child doesn't have to be the uncool one and demand to go home. Particularly if the child doesn't feel safe, the child doesn't have to then say any of that to, uh, to their, to the friend's family, to anyone. And once you pick that child up, you can say, Hey, do you want to let me know why you wanted to come home? Mm, that's so good and and again so empowering that that the child knows their parent will pick them up no matter what it just it validates their emotions it it validates fear and it normalizes Mm -hmm. it normalizes a conversation of being uncomfortable and it's okay to be exactly you don't need to stay anywhere that you feel uncomfortable and that's it and it's also it's okay you know and then it can become the conversation eventually you know of oh, okay, we feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yep, it's because of the sleeping thing. All right, well, we can try again if you want. We don't have to. You know, maybe next time it's a sleepover at their house because that's a bit more comfortable. But I think having open conversations with the parents of the other child and and the child and so we have that relationship. You don't have to be best friends with your kids' friends' parents all the time. That's Mm. not realistic. But (laughs) having an open conversation I think is. But also just listening to our children. If they don't want to sleep over great if they do but you think the family isn't super you know you're not comfortable with that that's fine but let your child know or have the conversation about okay actually I just don't feel like we know them well enough how about we do Mm. a couple more daytime you know play dates and these things and kind of build that up a little bit yeah we've had friends we've we've never had a successful sleepover but I've always (laughs) had you know cousins and friends come over it's always been I've said the same thing as the as the host you just let me know anytime there'll be no questions. I will call your mom or your dad, no questions asked, whether or not that means anything to them or not. I just mm. want to have that conversation to at least let them know that if they want to, it's an option. And I know their parents are having the same conversations. We're obviously having those in the background as well. But yeah. so that I don't care if you're sick, if you're scared, if you're uncomfortable, if you just want to go home, just let me know and I'll get mum here straight away. Um, still yeah. haven't had a successful one and that's okay. <laughs> That's fine. Look, I didn't have a successful sleepover for a very long time and it was yeah. nothing except the fact that I hated sleeping in other people's homes. It was I, weird. Yeah. And I made actually, weird noises and beds were weird and et cetera. Like it's just, it's strange. And I would actually call them successful because the children were empowered to call their parents and go. Oh, exactly. To me. I just, I was yeah. such the person to call mum and be like, no, I need you to pick me up. No, I know it's late. No, I need you here now. Just come on. We just, let's do this. We knew this was going to happen. Um, but, <laughs> You should have been here an hour ago. Exactly. Um, So, look, I don't think sleepovers are the enemy. I don't think we need to view them in that way because I don't think any one thing is. Mm. Of course, there might be situations where someone uses a sleepover to do something really horrific or to do something awful. But I also think at the same time, you know, we can't wrap our children in bubble wrap and expect them to grow into amazing humans. Mm, you know, so all, all children need an element of risk taking. And particularly as they get older, they want, and that used to be us climbing trees and falling. But for most kids at the moment, it's online behavior and, you know, those sort of situations. So something as simple as a sleepover while still indoors and whatnot can be a little bit of them getting that moment of risk taking, which is a really good developmental thing for them. So, you know, No matter what your family's values are, sleepovers can be great or not. That's fine. But I think having an open conversation with your kids about them is the first step. 
Amazing. I'd love to get you back on. We won't do it tonight, but I'd love to get you back on about online body safety. We'll Mm -hmm. do that another day. But let's move on and start rounding up with some rapid fire questions. So we're going to talk books first. I'm going to ask you two. I usually only Mm -hmm. ask one, but I'd like any recommendations for you from parenting and a body safety perspective first and Mm -hmm. then your own personal all-time favourite book. Okay, so as a body safety perspective, oh, that's hard to pick one because it depends on age and everything. Absolutely go for more because we put them in the show notes and we'll put links to them as well. Yeah, look, I'm going to be really clear. We have on our website, we have all of the resources we recommend and like recommend to parents. So I'm going to say check out the website and the resources. Um, For our littlies, we've created a resource called Surprise Mum's Birthday, which is a great little book for kind of early childhood age kids, kind of early primary around secrets because secret is a language of a perpetrator so it's around getting rid of that um, as well as anything like uh, my body belongs to me it's my body you know like things about empowerment of the self and then as we get older you know things like I won't said willow is a really great one I love both the books oh, I've got them like behind me it's like the oh, it's like love your body and like be your own man or something oh, they're like Jessica Jessica Sanders. Sanders. Yes, yes, yes she's been on we've had her on as well oh, have you? oh she's amazing yes, I love her um I don't think she knows I exist but I love her and I, will, um, I would like to collaborate with her one day on things who knows oh yes that would be amazing I'll put that in the universe I'm gonna uh, but link I, your email I'm gonna link you up <laughs> please do um but uh, those two books I think are really amazing just generally and then I could probably list a hundred more but those are some really good books about bodily autonomy um the secret issue as well as just gender norms and getting kind of rid of that and then also if you can have some general books around for the kids around emotional intelligence so like just how does emotions feel to help give them and get them to that point of language around scared around early warning signs things like angry and nervous as well so often we only talk to kids about being happy and like positive emotions but actually let's talk about when we feel nervous or worried or angry and give that those children some language around that Mm, I really like that you've just given me a good kick up the bum because I was just going through my bookshelf and going, oh, I reckon I've only got one, maybe two on that. That's that's a mm. really great idea. Yeah, no, so they're amazing. And then what was the so the what just my general favorite yeah, book? Your, your favorite book of all time, which I know is really hard. It's like asking who your favorite child is. Or <laughs> what are you currently reading? <laughs> um, that it look. It's I'm currently read. See, I'm a big reader. I read. I I I hit my hundred books in the year last year. Well done. Which I felt I felt very accomplished with. Thank you. So yes. I'm a big and I'm a very like eclectic reader. I'm very into fantasy, oh, sci-fi. It. Except I'm currently reading an amazing book called Beauty by Bree Lee who who wrote Eggshell Skull oh yes um and it's a great book just sort of I, I just love it it's that whole really interesting uh, kind of tension between being a feminist and also trying to you know wanting to comply to beauty norms and it's, it's, mm. it's, that, it's that it, but it's you know it's done in a very easy read kind of way so I'm currently reading that and really enjoying it oh I've put that one on my list too I'm at the do I let the pits grow or not phase and you know it might be that the pits don't grow but the legs grow I mean my legs yeah. are you know full I can't remember last time I shaved my legs no. but you know it, it's those little things so I think it it's, it's yeah, always it's, a funny moment and to me it's it's actually not about anything else but my own self-empowerment so mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's amazing all right that's on my list next too that's awesome all right where do you go or what do you do to reset after a tough day in the office Oh, see, I I have many, as I'm sure you can imagine. 
child sexual abuse is never a really easy day in the office I must admit um Mm. I because I go to lots of different schools and centers you know I go all around Vic I just was spending two weeks in Warrnambool teaching you know like I kind of go lots of different places Um, my car is kind of that place so after (laughs) particularly because you know I do late workshops so parent workshops at night and things so I'll have to drive home and so I kind of have created this real ritual of putting on loud music in my car and just kind of singing and at the moment I'm learning the complete soundtrack to Hamilton oh, the yes. musical. Um, I'm, I believe I I'm a that. rapper I'm not but I believe I am and so so after a very hard day and a very rough session or whatever it is I just get in my car and I just jam out I try not to think too hard and just let myself have a bit of a you know karaoke moment in my car to kind of just get everything out and then I can come home and talk to my partner or just have a shower or do anything little but like that's that's my first point of call. If I can't get in my car and listen to music, I kind of struggle to unwind. I love that. The power of music and and the it's cathartic music. The research behind singing and choirs and you know being mm. in in those groups, it's just yeah, the stats are amazing. So I can only imagine how a karaoke in the car can reset you. It's incredible. <laughs> I recommend it for everyone. And then you get to make fun faces at other cars. Because like they look at you at the at the red light and you're like singing along and then they get really into it even though they don't know what you're li- listening to. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's always I, I love seeing you sing along in the car. Better than the nose pickers at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. If you, this is another loaded question, sorry, not sorry. If you had to choose just one thing to change about the education system, what would it be? Oh, that is loaded. Um, <laughs> one thing to change. One thing to change. One thing to change. It would probably be, and I'm going to go to my roots here of sexuality education Mm. and the fact, and I think the biggest change would be that all schools, every child in Australia should have comprehensive sex positive sexuality education, no matter the school they go to, whether that be religious, independent, whatever it is, everyone across the board, because we know like there's so much research to show how great that is and how it, you know, reduces STIs, teen pregnancy, increases empowerment better relationships and so you know decreases I just a hundred percent I just look Mm. we're getting better but we're still miles ahead of of behind where we should be so if I was to change one thing I would say they actually have to do amazing comprehensive positive shame-free good sex ed Mm. so I'm a a ex-HPE teacher and I think we did one term of sex ed and mm-hmm. uh, healthy relationships in year nine and I can tell you that that is nowhere near enough to prepare for and that's the other that. thing it's too late it's what year nine like, even I go in and teach puberty to year five sixes that's still a little late because I go in and most of my year five sixes are well into puberty yeah you know like why are we waiting for that I had a friend growing up who got their period quite early I say early probably like end of year four or beginning mm-hmm. of year five she was dying and yeah. called an ambulance because oh. she actually thought, how traumatic is that for something that's so normal? But they, no one just decided to tell them because they, there was this assumption as adults that that was too old for them to know. And in this day and age, you know, it, there are so many incredible resources aimed at every every age group. Mm-hmm. There is just no excuse for kids not to know about this in a healthy, natural way. 100%. So, yeah, that's that would be my big change, my big overhaul. I'd like to slow clap that too. Getting lots of slow <laughs> <to happen. laughs> Arm raises here. 
<laughs> and to finish yourself, Lauren, can you tell us about where we can find out more about Body Safety Australia? Of course. So if you go to our website, bodysafetyaustralia.com.au, um, you'll be able to find our big thing, our resource list to get any resources. You can buy them off the website as well. So they're all things that we curate to make sure they're diverse, inclusive, uh, you know, of all families, all genders, all children's, et cetera. Um, so feel free to check that out if you're wanting, if you're freaking out a little bit as a parent and wanting a book or a resource or a game or something, please check that out. Um, obviously through that you can find links to, you know, TV shows that we've done and videos like SBS Insight and things if you want to see what the programs kind of look like. Um, obviously I'd recommend mailing lists, our mailing list, mainly because we do like council um presentation so if you're just part of a council nearby or you know particularly online ones you can usually log on you can kind of come to our presentations and thing and and get the full what usually becomes a full two-hour you know in-depth conversation about all this stuff and I think my biggest thing is at the end of the day if you think this is a super important topic you think your children really need that comprehensive prevention education and you don't know how your school or your center or that environment is doing it reach out, ask them mm. and say, hey, I heard this podcast. There was this person, Body Safety. Have you looked into it? And just to highlight, you're Australia-wide? Australia-wide. So obviously we're based, I'm based. We've also got some bases in uh, Brisbane and Queensland. Mm -hmm. I'm based in Melbourne, but we go anywhere. I've taught mm. in Sydney, New South Wales, rural Vic. I've gone to Tassie. Like we will go to the places that we need to. And also, you know, let's be honest, things like Zoom. I don't love teaching on Zoom because no, I, I don't, don't think anyone them. does. No. <laughs> but, you know, I'd rather do that than nothing. Yeah, and that, that's and so, it, isn't it? You know, I'm happy to be at every single school in Australia at some point. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. No excuses. <laughs> so, and I would absolutely recommend that because uh, it's funny. Um, I remember as a young child, and kudos to my parents for this, and our school because we were a tiny school of you know 60 children from prep to 12, but they had um, you know sex ed and relationship. I don't know. I can't. Couldn't even tell you who they were back then. But this was in the nineties. Would come out and do those parent workshops in the middle of Oonawoopwoop nowhere. And mm -hmm. I remember being, you know, thinking I was being dragged along, but leaving there going, "Wow, wow, I learned a lot." And that's with yeah. what we were still learning at school. I learned a lot from those sessions, and and particularly as an adult, I'm so grateful that I was able to go to those. So, do ask your school, and if you don't think they're getting enough, which they aren't. Um, then yeah, get, get some extra help because you know your teachers. Have, the teachers have so much to teach already. So Put and this no on top time. of it. No time, and also a lot of the teachers haven't been taught about this. No. You know, sex ed definitely not abuse prevention, not a lot. So actually, having an external educator to come in actually is usually the best thing for the school and for the teachers yeah. because it means the teachers can help continue conversations after the program but they don't have the stress of delivering it themselves. That's right. I can tell you right now we get to we get a taste of most things and a snippet of most things, but there's not the depth that we need to cover to make sure that our children are safe, their bodies are safe, and their relationships are healthy. So Oh, exactly. Push, and be the squeaky push. little parents. And and a hundred percent. And if you've got a school that just won't give in but you've got a group of parents and you want to know more I'll come and just go to someone's house and do a presentation mm -hmm. for like you know just a group of mums or a group of dads or a group of families of any description and we can have the chats that's really important. We have a huge homeschooling and unschooling community to follow to us too. So heads mm -hmm. up for homeschoolers. I am going to point out that probably out of the many homeschoolers that I know, there's a lot, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, that heads are in the sand and this conversation is super important. Don't let it lapse. 
Sorry mm-hmm. if that ruffles feathers, not sorry at all actually. <laughs> Make sure that your kids are getting this education. A hundred percent. And I also, you know, call out to those parents. I get why we put our head in the sand. This is scary. This is big. Mm. No one wants to think about their children being abused or hurt in any way. But unfortunately, not talking about it does not make it just magically disappear. And actually it leaves, it leaves our children vulnerable and undersupported. It leaves you and your village vulnerable and undersupported. So if we're really active and really want to do abuse prevention, we've got to be active in what we do. Hallelujah. Amen. All the things. Arms up. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. Thank you so, so much. This is, I live for these podcasts. I really do. I I don't think there's anything more important than giving our children the voice to keep themselves safe. I really don't. So on behalf of all of our families and followers, thank you for the hard work. I can't imagine the emotional load that you have some days coming home from the job that you do. So thank you for taking that on and and helping keep our children safe. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. And I hope all the parents, while this probably at times was a scary conversation to hear, I hope you feel a little bit more confident and empowered in doing this education yourself and, you know, taking that next step and know that, you know, we're all in this together. We're all one huge big village. We're just needing to put that time and effort in and have those uncomfortable conversations with adults so that our children don't have to feel uncomfortable. Mm, Thank you. So important. Thanks again for joining us. And I was going to say good luck, but just keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I'm sure. uh, Yeah. We'll come back for another chat soon. Oh, what an important conversation. Honestly, we've been trying to get a consent expert on the podcast ever since we've started because it's something that we know is just incredibly important and often and just not spoken about enough. If you think that these things couldn't possibly happen in your family, then without sounding like a schmuck, honestly, you're wrong. Some of the hardest days that I've ever had as a teacher have been mandatory reporting days when a teenager has come to me and reported abuse and we've then had to go through the motions of reporting that further. Abuse does not care about class or race or how much you love your children. Abuse is prevented by giving children the tools to know when they feel scared or uncomfortable. It's prevented by teaching them the correct names for their genitals. It's prevented by teaching your child that no one has the right to touch their body, even in a loving way, if they don't want them to. It's having these conversations with our children and our village. It's showing perpetrators and letting them know that our children and our village are empowered and and educated so that they cannot and will not touch them. So, you know, this is the time where on the podcast where we usually tell you about our downloadables or our own programs, but I want to spend this time this week instead urging you to go to bodysafetyaustralia.com.au right now and to educate yourself and your children. I don't care whether that's sending a video from their website to your parents Maybe you could buy your nieces and nephews some books from their site or your own children. You know, tag your brother in our podcast posts on Instagram or Facebook. Share the pants out of this podcast. Guys, this stuff, I know I'm harping on about it, but we see it as teachers and we see it probably more than the community sees it because we see children every day and we see the signs. And I don't know how else to keep children safe other than doing podcasts like this and sharing them and educating our village. 
this is the way, the only way that we keep our children safe is through education. So please, let's educate ourselves. Let's share this, buy the books, watch the videos, have the conversations with aunties and uncles and children. It is the only way we'll stay safe. Thank you. Apologies. And again, sorry, not sorry for having such a a serious podcast but you know once we leave school where do we learn these things other than on these types of mediums so thank you if you've made it this far until next week stay wild Mm -hmm.